Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This week we chat with Justin Briley about his new book, Unbelievable, why after 10 years of talking with atheists, I'm still a Christian. Even atheists, you know, are looking for meaning and purpose and are trying to find it in all kinds of areas. And and it's that whole thing of, well, we're all looking for something, but are we going to face up to the reality of the fact that atheism, if you drill down to its logical conclusion, is ultimately a hopeless kind of story? With me today is Justin Briley. Justin is most popularly known as being the host of Unbelievable. It's a Christian apologetics radio and podcast show based in England that's been on for quite some time now. So it's a great show. We'll get into more of that in just a moment. Um, Justin was also on In Doubt last year around this time. So it's great to have you back on the show again, Justin. Great to be here, Isaac. Thanks for having me. Yeah, for sure. Um, for those that are a little bit unfamiliar with who you are, not not the show, but just you, um, you know, what are a few things you can tell us about who Justin is? Well, I am a Christian. Uh, that's a good starting point. Um, I've been working for Premier, which is a Christian media organization here in the UK for 15 years now, believe it or not. And uh, my my role now has grown to the point where I actually do have a number of different hats here. Um, and those include, obviously, the unbelievable radio show and podcast and its associated conference and now the book. Uh, but I also actually spend my time uh, editing a monthly magazine called Premier Christianity Magazine, which is kind of the equivalent in the USA, I suppose, of Christianity Today. Plus doing doing some other bits and pieces for our radio and video side. As, and I'm married to a church minister. Uh, so she uh, we have four children together and um, I'm very much involved in my local church as well in terms of the worship and uh, and that kind of thing. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a busy life, really. That's so cool. Um, so do you mind briefly kind of sharing with us what exactly unbelievable the show is for people that maybe haven't haven't heard it? Well, The Unbelievable Show has been in existence for, uh, well, it will be nearly 12 years now. It's 12 years to towards the end of this year. Um, it's kind of the on podcast, you can go back uh, just about 10 years now in the podcast archive. Uh, and, uh, and so a lot of people have been listening right from the start, but we're constantly picking up new listeners, both on the radio station and, and as a podcast. And really, the show has always existed to bring together Christians and non-Christians for dialogue and debate, to help Christians think through their faith, understand the objections of others, how they might want to think about presenting their faith to people who don't share it. And also, hopefully, to encourage non-Christians to think about the claims of Christianity, whether they're true and whether they can be supported. Yes, no, that's good. And and like you kind of say in your book as well, you have obviously a, a huge majority that are Christian listeners, but you also have, you know, people of other faiths listening to your show and they appreciate it as well. Absolutely. And, and of course, many people of, of no faith in the sense that there's lots of atheists and agnostics who, who listen to the programme. Um, obviously, on the radio side, it is a Christian radio station. So the vast majority of people who listen via the, um, uh, via the radio station are, are Christian listeners. But really, on the online and via the podcast and so on, that's where we are seeing so many non-Christians engaging with the show, which is very encouraging. For sure. Okay, so Justin, you've just released uh, a brand new book uh, called Unbelievable, Why After 10 Years of Talking with Atheists, I'm Still a Christian. Uh, it's a great title. So um, you go into more detail in the first kind of a chapter of your book, but 
I'm wondering if you could briefly explain sort of the story of how you entered into your position on Unbelievable. Uh, I just think it's kind of interesting and kind of cool. Um, I don't think this book, you know, maybe would have been on your mind 10, 15 years ago. You wouldn't think this is a book <laughs> I'm going to write. Uh, so yeah, kind of share with us a bit about how your journey into your position now. Absolutely. I, I, if you had asked me 10 years ago, um, will you be writing a book about what you're doing? I, I would have thought you were mad because yeah. <laughs> I, I I had no idea really how the, the ministry really of Unbelievable would grow over those years. But um, really what, what happened in the, you know, the 10 plus years that the show's been going is that I really received an education myself in theology and apologetics as I invited so many Christian intellectuals and thinkers and theologians on the show and, of course, heard the opposite side from many non-Christians. And um, the reason I called the book Why After 10 Years of Talking with Atheists I'm Still a Christian, even though we obviously do a number of shows with Muslims and Hindus, Jews, people of other faiths, is to some extent the core of the show over those years has tended to revolve around atheist Christian debates because that's where a lot of the cultural emphasis has been with the rise of the new atheism and so on. And and so certainly I know the show has been helpful to people who have listened, both Christian and non-Christian, but I knew it was also been very helpful to me in helping me sort through what is the fundamental evidence for Christianity. Um, why does it make rational sense? I came to the show obviously as a Christian believer, but one who had very little knowledge at the outset of the rational case that can be made for Christian faith. And so over the years, as I've if you like, built that case or, or heard other people explaining it and obviously arguing against it, I think it's enabled me to uh, settle on where I find myself in terms of the best reasons for believing in Christianity. And I thought that was worth sharing with others. So what I aim to do in the book was to, to hopefully tell an interesting story about how the show came about and what it's been like doing all of these debates over the years, but also by drawing on all those conversations, present my own case for faith and Christianity and why it, it does make intellectual sense as well as emotional sense as well. So is, is your book, are you hoping that uh, Christians and non-Christians would benefit from it? Absolutely. Um, I very much wrote it with both people in mind, if you like. So I hope that for Christians, it will encourage them and inspire them to go and have conversations and be open to engaging in dialogue with non-Christians. And for non-Christians, I hope uh, equally that they won't find it, you know, the worst thing you can do is, is, is write a book that's patronizing. Um, and I, I'm hoping that the experience of doing so many conversations has helped me to write in ways that are not patronizing for a non-Christian audience, that respect where they are and why they believe what they believe, but also hopefully introduces why I believe what I believe and gives them a window into my faith and why I think it makes sense. And um, so far, the feedback has been very good from both sides, be Christians who have read it and non-Christians who have read it. So I'm, I'm encouraged by that. That's so good. It's sort of like a uh, like a mere Christianity kind of thing. Uh, you want to let them know why you believe in this, and it makes sense. So that that's really cool. Um, you know, t ten years, twelve years of talking with um, you know atheists and people people of other religions. I mean, you you're, you've been hearing firsthand some of some of the most powerful, I would say, arguments against against Christianity, which is uh, which is crazy. So I'm, I'm wondering if you could sort of um, give us an example of an argument against Christianity uh, that, that you've heard over the years that has sort of, you know, made you think about what, what you believe. Maybe maybe you, you, you left the office thinking, oh, I should talk to my wife about this and, you know, really <laughs> kind of consider this. Yeah. 
I, yeah, for sure. And probably, you know, one good example, and I spell it out a little in the book, is when I first really started to engage with biblical criticism. And one of the prime examples of a skeptic on that front would be Bart Ehrman, who is well known in New Testament circles. He's um, He was a Christian at one time, but he lost his faith. And uh, partly that was a journey because of him growing increasingly skeptical of the reliability of the New Testament um, and his best-selling book, which sold huge numbers actually at a popular level, um, was mis- misquoting Jesus, um, came out probably about 10 years or so ago. And um, the first time I had him on the show as the skeptic engaging with a, another New Testament scholar, I read the book a couple of weeks before the show was due to happen. And, and you know, it did leave me with some huge question marks. You know, is the book, is the New Testament reliable? You know, it, the whole case for it was on the basis of the, the, you know, the fact that we don't have the original manuscripts that were written down or we have are copies of copies of copies and there are so many thousands of variations between them. And so the way he paints it in the book does look pretty bleak, you know, for, for the reliability of, of these, these texts. Um, now, of course, I began to read other material in the run-up to the show, and and then we had the show itself, and I had on him on with uh, Peter J. Williams, who's um, a, a very good Bible scholar from Cambridge, um, who who sort of did the debate with him, and and what it, it sort of taught me was the value of that proverb, which says, you know, one person presents a case and seems persuasive, and then the other person brings their case, and and you realise actually there's there's a whole another story to this, and that actually the whole point is that this uh, science really of biblical textual criticism means that that we because we have access to so many copies although they are of course varied and you know contain lots of contradictions between them it's actually this sort of detective like process that allows us to get back to pretty much 99% certainty of what the original documents actually said. And once you get that explained by someone who shows that it's really not a half glass empty, it's a half glass full kind of situation, it it puts a different perspective on it. And I actually came out of that feeling more confident, actually, much more nuanced understanding of what these texts are and how they've come to us and but also much better kind of grasp on on the fact that sometimes things can get spun in a very negative way which when you actually invest some time looking into it you realize ah it's not as simple as that actually and and as it turns out that that show for me ended up confirming the view that we we have an extraordinarily um reliable uh you know uh, almost unmatched in any other sphere um, when it comes to documents of antiquity. So so for me, that was a really interesting one of, of learning to, to work through something that at first sight seemed quite troubling. No, that that's very good. And, you know, as you say that, I just think like the power of rhetoric, you know, you can write a whole book with this kind of, with this sort of rhetorical device and it can be so uh, influential. Um, a question for you, why do you think at this present time and, you know, and where we are in history, you know, Bart Ehrman's, uh, you know, books sold very popularly and uh, about, you know, disqualifying the, the, the manuscripts and like the actual words of the Bible. Why, why do you think this is so popular? And why do you think lots of Christians too look at that and start to get worried? Why this specific argument? Well, I think um, whether he wants to be allied with them or not, um, Bart's arguments were very useful for a segment of culture that is essentially anti-Christian. Um, so the new atheism, I think, has had 
historic Christianity in its sights. Um, and I think Bart Ehrman has been another useful sort of person to to use as evidence against Christianity. Um, I mean, it, 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 he's even actually been surprised himself to find who, who wants to use him uh, on their side, you know. And he actually wrote a book against Jesus' mythicism, which is another popular strand of new atheist thinking um, because he realized people were assuming because he has you know skepticism over the reliability of the new testament that he was a full-blown mythicist and he actually had to write a book telling them no i do believe there was a historical jesus of course i do um and and got into some you know pretty serious online um, debates and skirmishes with people like richard carrier because of it um uh, and so and so he he actually said to me when he was talking about that issue, he said, I asked him, why why do the, the atheist, you know, websites and so on, um, why are they so keen to particularly trot out the Jesus mythicist view? And he said, well, I guess if you can deny there was even a Jesus, then you've kind of um, denied Christianity at its core. And that might be quite useful for some people. But uh, in a sense, I think that's also why his type of scholarship has has at a popular level um, risen to the surface because I think a lot of people feel like, well, uh, we can use this to discredit Christianity. Um, because I think there's a lot of people who want to do that for cultural reasons, moral reasons. But if you can also discredit the actual intellectual credibility of the religion itself, then I think that's that's a win as well for certain segments. I'm 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 painting with a broad brush here. This is not by any means how all non-Christians or atheists uh, view view it. But I'm I'm talking about as if you like a there's a certain popular atheist, new atheist kind of sensibility out there, which I think is his material particularly was, was, yeah, was sympathetic to. No, that's good. And just a a quick question on the side, when you say that, you know, you're not painting a a broad brush over everyone, you know, I grew up in the church and uh, you, you have as well. And there's lots of people that have, and for some reason we have this bias whenever we watch a debate with a Christian and a non-Christian and we start to sort of paint this sort of brush of, oh, the non-Christian is probably not as nice of a person (laughs) as, as the Christian. So I I was wondering if you just briefly, like, just tell us, uh, you know, take the counter the box and say that, you know, obviously there are some amazingly good people that aren't Christians that have been on your show, right? Yeah, of course. And and I think that's the thing is, is we, the problem is in the online world, we can tend to demonize both sides um, because we, 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 we tend to sit behind our computer screens. And for, for whatever reasons, that tends to mean that, that we start to talk in extremes and, and everything. It tends to bring the worst out in people. What I find is when you actually sit down with people in a studio, especially if you can get face to face, you quickly realize this is another human being. Um, they're not there simply to destroy your religion or um, or to to impose some kind of Christian theocracy uh, or whatever it might be that the the other person has in their mind they're, they're, they're actually you know they're human and, and I think that helps a great deal in actually then having a, a more sensible kind of conversation and indeed I, I meet Christians whose approach I cringe at and I think that's not the way you should be sharing your faith or trying to convince people and and I meet atheists who are lovely people who I would fully want to you know, spend an evening down at the pub with and and talking to them. Uh, so you you simply can't. You know, it, it simply doesn't fall into this kind of black and white categories of of nice people and nasty people. And I and I think the more we can do, we can sort of own up to that and and encourage people to kind of take people at face value and uh, and and genuinely get to know them. The more I think we'll have productive conversations rather than conversations which just reinforce 
our own viewpoint in that sense. And, and I hope that Unbelievable at some level has, has contributed to that a little bit. That's good. And I actually want to come back to that kind of question of dialoguing, uh, you know, between people with opposing worldviews in just a second here. But you know, I want to first come to here. Um, a, few, a few chapters of your book um, sort of have this title, quote, God makes sense of dot, dot, dot. You know, you say, uh, firstly, human existence and then value and then purpose. Now, uh, really, your your book is saying this is why I'm still a Christian. So you're kind of giving us a reason why God does make sense of these very important things. So I'm wondering, I, I know that, you know, obviously you get into it way more in your book, but I'm wondering if you could give us a, just a brief sort of s- snapshot of each of those three. So mm. f- firstly, God, yeah. God makes sense of human existence. How, yeah. how so? <laughs> well... Um, essentially, I, this is my science chapter in the book to some extent. And, and what I'm pointing at there is some of the amazing discoveries that have been made in the last 50 or so years that show just how extraordinary it is that we exist at all as, um, here on Earth. Um, and I only really pick up on a few of the things that could be mentioned. But, but one of the key things I mentioned is obviously that the universe appears to have had a beginning in the Big Bang. And there's a huge question mark over what could have what what brought the universe into being to start with. And then, of course, the issue of fine tuning, the fact that the universe appears to be set up with uh, an extraordinary number of um, finely tuned qualities and constants and um, variables, which which had to be exactly just so in order for any kind of life to exist, um, including humanity. And uh, and so I deal with some of the typical objections to those sort of arguments for the existence of a creator. And, uh, and, and I, you know, and I explain why in the end I come down believing actually the evidence is more there in favour of a creator than against. Even the fact that we can do science, I think, is, is a huge thing, something I addressed briefly on that. Because... For a long time, many scientists and philosophers of science have marveled at the fact that we do live in a universe which is so open to exploration, to being mapped out by physical equations. There's no obvious reason why that should be, um, and yet, and yet, we have, as as Eugene Wigner puts it, this um, the uh, unreasonable effectiveness of mathematics. And for me, these are all fingerprints, signposts, if you like, of. God, of a creator behind this whole thing. Um, they're not ones that force you to believe, but I think they're ones which are very, personally, I find them compelling and I believe are very, very consistent with a Christian worldview and inconsistent with an atheistic worldview. And what I'm trying to do throughout these chapters is say, if we've got two options on the table, one where there is no ultimate uh, reason behind the universe, there's no, there's no overarching story, there's no all that exists really is matter in motion that's the atheistic sort of story or the christian story in which there is a a purpose and a mind and you know something that embodies love and so on then you've got if you're looking at these two types of explanations for what we find around us then christianity works much better than than atheism does so that's how i treat it in the existence one it's is the the physical evidence of the universe and in the the chapter on God is the best explanation of human value. That's where where we, rather than looking outside in the universe, we look inside ourselves and say, how do we explain this, you know, the fact that the vast majority of people seem to believe in ultimate moral reality and the importance of human value over and above anything else enshrined in things like, you know, declarations of human rights. And again, 
cutting a very long story short, I find that the the Christian worldview, which says we're made in the image of God and that gives us this extraordinary value, makes more sense of that intuition that seems to be had by almost all people than 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 an atheistic one where there there simply can be no rhyme or reason to why we should prefer our particular species over anything else. And um and and finally, you know, uh, wrapping up with the, the the purpose one again. That's that's where we look at what the fact that um, you know everyone seems to be on a search for ultimate meaning, transcendence, and often uh, are looking for it uh, in all kinds of different areas. The question is, uh, will any of these journeys actually offer what we're looking for? Even atheists, you know, um, are looking for meaning and purpose and are trying to find it in all kinds of areas. And so, for instance, here in the UK, we had something called the Sunday Assembly spring up several years ago, which is actually a group of non-believers getting together kind of for a church of their own on a Sunday morning where they sing songs and hear a motivational talk and enjoy fellowship and community with each other. And and it's that whole thing of, well, we're all looking for something, um, but are we going to face up to the reality of, of the fact that atheism, if you drill down to its logical conclusion, is ultimately a hopeless kind of uh, story because we all of these, you know, temporary meanings and things we may attribute to our lives will be gone. Will be gone when we expire, and and all of them will be gone when the the universe, you know, finally expires uh, in you know, trillions of years in the future. Uh, is that the story we believe is true about life and the universe and everything? Well, again, for me, the Christian story that there's a bigger story going on makes makes more sense of of that universal sense of um longing for purpose and meaning and transcendence so i tried to tease that out in various ways through some of the interviews and debates we've had on the show with all kinds of interesting people and and explain why for me in lots of different ways all of these are signposts towards rather than away from God. They make better sense in the Christian framework than in an atheistic framework. That's awesome. Thanks for kind of flushing some of those out. And obviously, uh, if you're listening, uh, Justin goes into those in a little bit more detail as well um, in, in his book. Now, to, to wrap this up, we have about, you know, two and a half minutes here, Justin. I just wanted to, you know, say that, you know, over the years of hosting these uh, these sort of debates, these conversations, you, you've you learned a thing or two about uh, this dialogue between people with opposing worldviews. Now, now most of us aren't, aren't going to have the ability to do what you are doing. It's, it's quite unique, um, specifically with mediating. So how would you encourage the average Joe, the average Jane to engage in dialogue uh, with people with opposing worldviews? You know, what, what things have you learned over the years that you can just sort of give us as these kind of tips to, to think about? When we when we talk with someone on the camp, you know, on our college campus, that's a, a Muslim or an atheist or or what what have you. Yeah, well, I, th- I think in some ways there's never been more opportunities than we have today to engage with people who don't share our faith. Partly because we live in an ever more secular or pluralistic society as well, so there's people on our doorsteps, and because you know, because of the internet, we are constantly, you know, have the opportunity to engage with people if we choose to do so in that context. But I think we also need to be very careful about the way we do that as well, Uh, particularly when it comes to the internet. I mean, that's almost a whole separate area where I think you have to really be careful about the motives you're going in there for. And if ultimately you're going in to try and win an argument, you're probably going to have a bad experience because everyone's trying to win the argument on the internet. And, um, and, and I think you have to check your motives and say, okay, uh, um, 
am I really doing this just to look good and feel like I won something? Or, or is my concern really for that person and whether they come to know the living God? Um, so we've got to be so careful. Uh, when it comes, I mean, I would always, in a sense, say, if you can choose a face-to-face sort of interaction, then you're, you're going to get beyond the, the problems that exist with online interactions. You're, you're immediately going to have a better chance, I think, of of engaging with the person themselves and and having that kind of a, a much deeper, I think, connection. And and when those opportunities arise, as they, they often do, I think the important thing is not to be afraid. I think, you know, um, the, you know, the, there's often, I think, a fear among Christians that if I open myself up to this conversation or that person or that, that tricky question, it might damage my faith. And from, from, for me, I understand that. I think I was probably there myself at one time. But I think you, you've got to have a deep enough confidence in Christ and the gospel to know that uh, <laughs> this this stuff can stand on its own two feet. That doesn't mean you you won't come across hard questions and you know things that that are mysterious. Um, but we shouldn't be afraid of engaging those and being willing to do some hard work in thinking about them. Because ultimately, you know, people are looking for answers and, and they're waiting for us to to respond. So I think I think um, be willing to have the conversation. Don't be afraid. Obviously, uh, do it with gentleness and respect, which is exactly what First Peter 3.15 enjoins us to do. And that means being willing to listen, not simply there to make sure you get all of your, you know, list of, list of points in. It means having a genuine dialogue where you're willing to take on board what someone says. And if you don't have an, a ready answer, say, that's really interesting. I'm not sure I know the answer, but let me go away and think about it. I'd love to continue the conversation. And um, and the way we say things, you know, makes so, so often is as important as what we say, because I know people, you know, evangelists who are brilliant evangelists who aren't terribly intellectual people, but it's the character and the way they said things that helped people to, to bring people to a point where they were open to Christianity. And I know brilliant intellectuals who, uh, you know, have all the answers, but who make terrible evangelists because of the way they say it just puts people's back up, makes them not interested in even listening really to what's being said. So all of those and, and much more besides, yeah. That's so good. Thank you for sharing those. Um, you know, thanks so much, Justin, just overall. You know, if you're listening and you're interested in more of Justin's story and maybe interested in his journey of remaining a Christian through many great arguments against Christianity, um, that I'd encourage you to go and pick up and read Unbelievable, Why After 10 Years of Talking with Atheists, I'm Still a Christian. You can find it on Amazon, and I'm going to put up some other links as well on the episode page. We do have a show, uh, sort of a web page for it called unbelievablebook.co.uk. Awesome. And that's also got links to the audio book, and you can even get signed copies of the book there. Oh, that's great. Perfect. Uh, anyways, thanks, Justin. I look forward to chatting with you again soon. Bless you, Isaac. Thank you. That was Justin Briley, the host of the show Unbelievable in the UK. Also, I'll make sure to put all the links up on our episode page that Justin just talked about as well to get his book and things like that. Hey, if you're listening on the radio right now, we'd love to hear from you. You know, the radio is just a kind of a newer medium for us, and we'd love to know if people are actually listening on it. So if that is you, uh, just simply connect with us on one of our social networks. You can email us at hello at indoubt.com, or you can even call us at 1-800-663-2425. 
Also, everything that Indo produces and publishes is only made available by people across this nation who support us financially. Now, if Indoubt is a ministry you'd like to support this way, it's super easy to do. Simply click the donate button at indoubt.ca if you live in Canada or indoubt.com if you live in the States. Anyways, connect with us online through the week on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Maybe you suggest a guest or a topic. We'd love that. Well, I'm Isaac, and next week we have a really interesting conversation with Mark Ward about Bible translations. How can we be sure that we're holding the actually inerrant Word of God? See you then. Indoubt Ministries exist to bring a biblical perspective into the relevant issues of life and faith that young adults face every day. For more information, check out indoubt.ca if you live in Canada and indoubt.com if you live in the U.S.